Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. The Lord's presence offers that clue. In Psalm 1, it talks about the tree being rooted in, near God, that it doesn't fear the heat or famine because our roots are close to Him, our source, our water, our source of life. And in Revelation, when the story arcs to the end, when Jesus will come back, it talks about the river of God and the tree of life being there, bearing different fruit every season, rotating fruit. And what I like, the trees will bear leaves that will bring healing to the nations. How beautiful and refreshing is that? I can almost feel the breeze through the leaves, can you? Is that not a beautiful story? That the presence of God, even Jesus, who was brutally murdered on the cross, when he was once commended and welcomed into the world, and even the crowds esteemed him. And for a brief, tiny while, the Pharisees were impressed by his words. But listen, he was on that cross, and even in that state, he was still the presence of God. He was still son of the Most High God. He was still precious and beautiful, just like any of our children are to us, and hopefully we are to someone else. We have to trust that the presence of God, that Jesus and his message for a gospel heritage matters, is powerful, is healing, is capable and effective to change and challenge and transform us in our situations. In fact, he promises that he will make all things new, not just our individual lives or again, our generations, but all the sectors in the world and society, all of the parts of creation and the environment that we have broken down or have worn down or that may be themselves in a dry route. I think of our suburbs here and how the soil gets turned over so many times until it's gray and there's nothing left in it to grow anything. I spent the spring with my son for a whole month, actually six weeks, rebuilding the soil just in our front section with compost and other soils and six inches of it. It had been so packed down and compacted that the roots had just were near the top and there was no way for them to, to keep enduring in that condition. And I was so thankful to do that because shortly Thereafter, we had one of the biggest heat waves we've had in the Pacific Northwest, yet yet the garden was flourishing. It was green. It helped that my husband watered it every day, but it was fine. It didn't droop. It didn't brown. It grew and flourished and embraced. In fact, one of my hawthornberry plants that I had planted with my son as a bare root stock a few years ago, finally buried. In fact, that heat stress, I think, helped it bury. Sometimes a little bit of stress can go a long way for some of those food-producing plants. And by the way, I try to 
garden with that in mind. <laughs> Always plant your garden and integrate those native plants and edible plants with some other companion plants in there. And you can put some things in for, for pest control. And that's how I roll. But it was a beautiful garden and it was a sanctuary in that heat wave. And that's a teeny tiny glimpse of what we can be like even now. God could restore us. I think of the scriptures in Proverbs that talk about kind words and anxious thoughts, how anxious thoughts wear our heart down, how unkind, harsh words even make our bones dry, that we ourselves could be that dry soil for whatever reason, no blame or shame to cast. It could just be. And it doesn't have to stay that way. Because a kind word can lift it up. And sometimes if you are lacking a brotherhood or a sisterhood, a kind of friend that will be a friend for all seasons, not just one or two, not just the ones to celebrate and then ghost you later or drop you without a word, not someone who comes and takes from you what you offer, but doesn't bother to check in on you or help you, not someone who judges you if you're going through a trial and having a hard time knowing how to respond in a good, positive way, not someone who judges your kids or your family situation or your choices or is negative about those things, someone who speaks life into you. And we don't always have the luxury of choosing who we're around every day, and we're not always at our optimum either, and that's okay if we can just lean in lean forward into Jesus, even the Jesus who was hanging on a tree. His mom was brave, and mothers often go where few people dare to go. And his best friend, they didn't leave him. And there was a circle of women who were lamenting and watching in the distance too. You see, women know, and we are often the caregivers in many caregiving professions, such as teaching and nursing, in home life, And this is not, again, a blame or shame. It just, that's what the numbers say. And so what are we doing to support and welcome and empower these women in our lives to be a sisterhood, to support one another, to allow that to be a positive outlet for them that we need to give women the time and space and the margins where they can socialize with one another and be a support system to one another. This is important because it's actually countercultural, it seems, at least here in the United States, maybe not in every culture that's living here, certainly not. But I know that the norm seems to be for the ideology to be for having a marriage with someone or a single career life and those seeming to be the only two options for women for a social circle. And that didn't always used to be the case in the in the history of the United States and certainly not in other cultures that have more collective or communal ways of building family, that there's more openness and receptivity to one another. And certainly you can see even reflected in city design and the suburbs and houses being built big and up and with lots of concrete and very little space in between. But that sense of being overcrowded, that sense of being together yet separate, 
we are pushing the limits of that. When the women were lamenting and following Jesus as he carried his cross before he got relief from Simon, the father of the little boy that was that uh, carried the cross for him. When Jesus saw the woman lamenting and crying for him, he turned and another part of his ministry, even in his agony, you see, I don't know about you, but when I'm not feeling well, it's difficult sometimes to marshal a kind word or to be temperate in my response or just even not be irritable. And Jesus, he turns to them and he says, don't cry for me, cry for yourselves. And he basically lays out this horrifying prophecy of what will become of heritage, what women and children will go through because of the way that the world has been spinning. He says, if this happens while the wood is green, then what will happen when the wood is dry? And again, we hear this echo of our family tree, our true family tree attached to Christ. The Apostle Paul later on in Romans chapters 11 to 14 talks about the family tree and alludes to the church as being grafted in to Israel. In other words, grafted in to the people of God and the promises of God. And I recognize that for some that might sound offensive, but let's consider, let's pause and take a breath and consider what is the beautiful message in that of being grafted in to God's family tree, because that's our family tree. When the woman went to Jesus to tend to his body after he died, and they found the tomb empty, they went and they told the disciples what they saw. And of course, some of the disciples, many of them, it seems, didn't believe them at first. They went to tend his body because the Passover had ended. Jesus as the Passover lamb. In other words, this alludes back to Exodus when the Israelites were in Egypt and the last plague that came upon Exodus was the most tragic one where the firstborn of all the Egyptians died, even their animals. And the Israelites painted the doorposts with the blood of the lamb and the symbolism of Jesus and his sacrifice covering them. And he was the firstborn so that our firstborn wouldn't perish. In other words, so that we could continue as a generation so that God could be faithful to keep his promise that he made to Father Abraham those many generations before that he would make a great nation, a great populated family out of the one son of Isaac, out of the one son that Abraham and Sarah bore in their old age. Again, this tender shoot, you get this sense that this idea that we're scarcely holding on, that we're almost like a remnant scarcely holding on, yet that's what a sisterhood is for, is it not? That's what a brotherhood is for, is it not? That's what a heritage as a family of God is for. Yes, it is. So to recap, Mary and Elizabeth come together to celebrate one another. Women of a sisterhood come together. Mary and the friend of Jesus watched her son die. Women bear witness. The woman lamented for Jesus, received a hard word. Women show up even if it's not favorable. Women went to tend to the body of Jesus. 
and celebrated the good news and the shock and surprise and awe that he was no longer dead in that tomb to the disbelief of their male disciples. Women engage solutions. Even when people don't believe them, they come together and they engage solutions. And when I say women, I suppose I really just mean sisterhood. So what about you? If you're listening and you don't think you qualify because you don't identify yourself as a woman or you don't think you have a sisterhood, what about you? How can you build one? How can you grow one? How can you lay a foundation in yourself? How can Jesus be that person to lean on, that person, that confidant, that support to celebrate with you, to tell you a hard word when you need it, to be your solution? That's what Advent is all about, coming together as a family of God to celebrate the Son of Man and the Son of God and what He has done and how He has come to bring hope and life and goodwill in our lives. As it says in John 15, to abide in the vine of Jesus. He's a vine. He is growing up from being that tender shoot, and he is growing out as a vine. He is growing to flourish us as a tree. And one of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite parables of Jesus is when he talked about the kingdom tree, what I call the kingdom tree, that it's a mustard seed. And when you plant it, though it be the tiniest of seeds, it grows into this giant tree and the birds of the air can rest in its branches. He did not discriminate which birds could rest and which couldn't. He just said, the birds of the air, may we be that kind of family of a gospel heritage. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and all he offers and promises and gives to us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you went through. Thank you for your grace and your goodness and your love and your power and your liveliness that you offer and give us. Please imbue us with that greenness that we need in our family trees, whether they be biological or spiritual, whether they be the kith and kin of a gospel heritage of our church or spiritual family, whether they be a need for a friend or a brotherhood or a sisterhood to circle around, or whether we can start being that way. Maybe we've been spoiled by some good, solid people. What can we do to give back? We pray that this Advent season can restore some hope and healing to your gospel heritage, to your family here, that you spare a remnant and let us grow up into your family tree. Plant that seed in our hearts and let it grow mighty and strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.